Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. A lot of people are confused about their right to remain silent. I even got an email the other day from a guy who said, Steve, you said recently in a video that if you want to remain silent, you've got to speak up and, and assert your right. And I never said that. And I've actually done a video where I said, if you, if you want to actually remain silent and, and you come into contact with the police, remain silent. See, if you speak up and say something, that's by definition not silent, okay? The key distinction is if you want the police to stop questioning you after they've arrested you, you can speak up and say, I want an attorney before I talk to you, or I do not want to talk to you. Stop asking me questions. So there you would have to speak up and ask the attorney or speak up and ask them to stop questioning you. However, if you want to, if you come into contact with the police and they arrest you, and they read you your rights, so you have a right to remain silent. Do you understand these rights that I've read them to you? You can remain silent. They just told you you could, okay? So despite the fact that that concept, once you understand the distinction, is quite clear, still baffles some people, including attorneys and judges. And this is crazy. But out of Illinois, a guy named Jim Day wrote the article for the News Gazette, and Douglas sent it to me, thanks a lot, uh, a man on a motorcycle. Uh, went into a Walmart, and while he was in there, a sheriff's deputy went in looking for him, believing he'd done something wrong while on the motorcycle. So the sergeant told the man inside the Walmart, we need to walk out of the store without making a scene. And the man walked outside the store without making a scene. So they charged the man with speeding and fleeing from police, and he pleaded not guilty. So his case went to trial back in 2018, and the prosecutor argued that the man's silence was evidence and proof of his guilt because um, he'd been told to walk out of the store without making a scene, and he didn't make a scene. And see, he should have made a scene. He should have screamed and yelled and argued with them. And so his silence could be used against him. And... Of course, his attorneys objected at trial, but the trial court said, well, no, I think it actually makes sense. So he was convicted and sentenced to two years in prison. Now, a state appellate court overturned the conviction. And then earlier this month, the Illinois Supreme Court unanimously affirmed the appellate court's decision. So here's what happened at trial. Prosecutors over defense objections argued that the defendant's silence proved he was guilty. Now, you or I would assume that anybody probably above seventh grade, what what grade did they first start talking about the Constitution in school? Seventh grade? Eighth grade? Would understand that you've got the right to remain silent. Now, a lot of people might not know that historically, historically, I'm talking about 100 years ago or more, there were some states that allowed you to make the argument that somebody who was remaining silent could be presumed to have done something based on their, you know, their desire to remain silent. Courts have overwhelmingly said that if you were allowed to do that, it eliminates any benefit you'd get from your right to remain silent. Okay. So they argued that the man's silence proved his guilt. Now, both courts, the Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court of Illinois, found that silence doesn't prove anything and his compliance was improperly turned against him. So a police officer asks you, comply with me. And when you follow his instructions, the prosecutors say, that proves you're guilty. 
So they're suggesting that they want you to fight and argue with the police officer to prove your innocence. And yet, we all know what would happen if the police showed up and said, sir, don't make a scene. If he'd made a scene, they'd say, well, that scene he made proves he's guilty. Anything you do, they'll try to spin. But the one thing they're not allowed to do is try to spin your silence against you. Uh, So the justice here writing for the state Supreme Court said, the state's improper comments informed the jury that the defendant was silent, not as an exercise of his right to remain silent or as compliance with his orders, but because he was guilty. And that is absurd. That's kind of like saying, gee, the police officer turned on the lights overhead and you pulled over. You're obviously guilty. (laughs) What? The officer said we need to walk out of the store without making a scene. The man walked out of the store without making a scene. Why did he do that? (laughs) The appellate and the high court ruled that the trial judge should have declared a mistrial after the prosecutor's initial improper comment. So apparently the prosecutor asked the question and the other side objected. The judge overruled the objection and let it proceed. And this court is saying not only should the judge have said that's an improper question, the judge should have declared a mistrial because you cannot fix that by simply instructing the jury to unhear what they had heard. Instead, the judge was persuaded that the state was free to invoke the silence issue, (laughs) one that the prosecutor then repeatedly raised once he was told he was allowed to do that. Uh, Meanwhile, an arrestee's right to remain silent, of course, is fundamental to your constitutional rights. The Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution states that, and this is what it actually says, no person shall be compelled to be a witness against himself. The uh, U.S. Supreme Court's groundbreaking decision in the 1966 case of Miranda versus Arizona created a bright-line rule requiring police to inform those in custody that they have the right to remain silent. And I believe the officer involved in that case recently passed away. Uh, I saw that news story cross my desk, um, and I did not address it here because it seemed a little more historical than legal, but it was an interesting point. Illinois Rules of Evidence, written before the Miranda ruling, even state that evidence of silence is not relevant to the question of guilt and is therefore off limits as evidence except under narrow circumstances. So evidence of silence is not relevant. Uh, a lot of states have got court rules, and they determine what can happen in a courtroom, and many of them have rules of evidence. Michigan's are the MREs, the Michigan Rules of Evidence. And it'll actually say at the very beginning of one of the sections what relevance is, and then it'll say relevant evidence is admissible unless excluded by another rule. So hearsay, for instance, might be excluded even if it might be relevant were it not hearsay. However, however, Irrelevant evidence generally is inadmissible because if you're allowed to admit irrelevant evidence, then why would we say, well, it's irrelevant? (laughs) So relevant evidence can get in. Irrelevant evidence does not get in. And so this man's silence is considered irrelevant. And you might say, but Steve, shouldn't they just have a specific rule on this? No, believe it or not, that is a bigger rule. Because by declaring it irrelevant, they're saying there's no reason it could ever get in. And so it does say there might be narrow circumstances, but that's not going to apply here. 
So those rules make it necessary for judges and prosecutors to tiptoe carefully around this legal third rail. Uh, But meanwhile, the defendant's prosecutor couldn't wait to bring it up, telling jurors that his police witnesses would testify that at no point did the man challenge his arrest. And of course, that means that he made this during the opening statement. So the trial started with the prosecutor getting up and breaking this rule. So the prosecutor argued that this was proof of the defendant's consciousness of guilt. When the defense objected, prosecutors relied on a case to argue that the man's silence was not constitutionally protected, and the trial judge allowed it, even though the facts in the case that the prosecutor cited were not like these facts. So at that point, the prosecutor then repeatedly raised the issue during trial. For instance, questioning a police officer, he asked, did he at any point ask why he was being detained? No? Oh my gosh, that makes him guilty. During closing arguments, he said the defendant has the right to say nothing, but you have to ask yourself, what would a normal person who had nothing to do with this, what that normal person would have said when they're suddenly detained in the bathroom of Walmart? Prosecutors argued that their error, if it was one, was harmless. (laughs) That the evidence against the man was overwhelming. But the high court said the error was far from harmless, because evidence that the defendant was fleeing from police was not overwhelming. Meanwhile, the defendant did concede that he may have been speeding. Court found references to the man's silence flavored the entirety of the proceedings. High Court's unanimous ruling reveals it was not a close case. And the big question is, and why did the Supreme Court take it? Because if the lower court got it right, but you have to understand that Supreme Courts, the courts above the appeals courts when they exist... Uh, will often take a case because they want to make sure everyone sees it. So Mr. Uh, Day here writes, perhaps the Illinois Supreme Court wanted to send a message to prosecutors and judges in all 102 counties to avoid foolish mistakes, especially this one. And that is what the Supreme Court was doing there. So up on appeal, Court of Appeals gets it right. And prosecutor doesn't like that ruling and appeals it, the Supreme Court of Illinois could have said, no, we're not going to take this case. We're going to let that stand. It's the right decision. But, of course, then that might not have been as binding as the Supreme Court saying, ah, yes, no, 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 no. This is not how we do things here. <laughs> so it's it's a, a fascinating case. And I've pointed out recently quite a few times in videos about how you get a situation where judges and attorneys and prosecutors and police officers seemingly missed these obvious, obvious things. And they wonder, are things worse now than they were 100 years ago? And I don't know that that's true. Uh, 100 years ago, we wouldn't have had YouTube for me to make this video. And this story might not have been picked up outside of that area where it happened. So I don't know that things are necessarily getting worse or crazier. I just think that perhaps things are better publicized. But the good news is the man's conviction... Was, uh, was overturned with respect to the fleeing and eluding part of it. And I believe if they'd wanted to, they could probably retry him. But sadly, this is 2023. And uh, this case went to trial in 2018. And he was sentenced to a couple of years in prison. So I think he may have already served that time out. So it might be a, a, a victory on paper and not much else. So that's a sad thing. But it's just bizarre in this day and age that a prosecutor would think he'd get away with this. 
a trial court would let him get away with it. And then it would have to go up on appeal and it would make it to the state Supreme Court. It would say, no, no, that's not how that works. You've got the right to remain silent. And that right and the exercise of it cannot be held against you. Otherwise, it would make no sense to call it a constitutional right. So there you go. So the right to be silent while in police custody is golden. Jim Day wrote that op-ed piece and the story for the News Gazette out of Champaign, Urbana, Illinois. And Douglas sent it to me. Thanks a lot. Questions or comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. Truth, when not sought after, rarely comes to light.